Hey girl, welcome back to Our Space. I'm your host, Diana, and this is the podcast where we talk about the health and well-being of Black women with Black women. So, before we jump in today, let's get a little recap of last week. Last episode, we talked about contributions made to society by Black women that often go uncredited. I kid you not, right after I recorded the episode, put it out for y'all, whatever, I get on TikTok, and what do I see? A Black woman talking about a white woman stealing her content bar for bar. Like, she played the videos next to each other, and it was giving very much, let me see your homework. And I'm just going to copy it word for word right down from the name. It was very weird. Like, at least try to cover up that you're stealing. But anyway, I asked her, asked that uh, creator if I could share her story. Um, because, well, that is what you should do. You should ask people before you take their content, especially if you're going to use it on a platform like a podcast or another video. And she declined, which I completely understand. She probably wants to put it behind her because that was very, it was a very viral video. And I'm sure she was getting a lot of things coming at her from all directions. Nonetheless, my point is that this is happening so often and so rampantly that I can record a podcast episode about it and then open up a social media app and see examples. With that being said, ladies, guard your intellectual property. Don't let these jobs have your ideas, your concepts, or editable versions of your work. Say it with me. P-D-F. It might not seem like a big deal, especially if you're a young professional just getting into your career. Oh, my job would never try to screw me over. <clears throat> Let me be the first to tell you, if you got a good idea, someone will take it. They will not credit you and they will not feel bad. Job or not, salary or not. Sometimes when you get into these jobs, these contracts, they feel like anything you do while you're at work, that's theirs. That is wrong. So guard your intellectual property. Don't give people, even your coworkers, even your best duty at your job, editable versions of your work. And by editable versions, I mean like sending a Word document that like, oh, can we? Now, if you want to collaborate, literally collaborate, that is something different. But if you have a final project or a final product ready to be, do whatever it is you do at your job, PDF version, because no, it's locked. No one can change it. No one can edit it. It has your name on it, a watermark if you're tech savvy like that, whatever the case may be, no one can edit it and change it and turn it into something else. <sighs> but that's really actually all I had to say on that. Just wanted to recap briefly because I was astounded by the fact that not even 24 hours later, I saw this happen. And the way she was describing it, like I said, it was bar for bar. So that's that on that. Protect your work. Follow me on TikTok. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go catch up. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, this week I want to talk to y'all about empathy. I found a book at Five Below months ago. I don't know, depending on where you're at, you might call it Five Below, might call it Five and Below, whatever. Found a book at Five Below a couple months ago, and I, the, the title itself spoke to me, but I didn't start reading it right away. I'm an audiobook girl, podcast girl, and as much as I love reading or love information, reading has fallen to the back burner. Your girl's busy, and when I'm not busy, I am doing mindless scrolling, but we will get back to that when we talk about New Year's goals. Anyway, so find a book at Five and Below. The cover spoke to me. The title spoke to me, and 
it, it's a hidden gem. I will say Five Below definitely has books. My sister did not know that Five Below had books. Now, are they selling New York Times bestsellers? Absolutely not. But do they have some hidden gems? They absolutely do. And this book is one of them. So I saw the book and the title, like I said, the the uh, cover got me. But the title itself is The Empowered Empath, The Highly Sensitive Person's Guide to Transforming Trauma and Anxiety, Trusting Your Intuition, and moving from overwhelm to empowerment. Now, y'all might not know why that speaks to me so heavily, but just know that it does, and I will give you the background. But if you're on social media at all, you may have heard or seen an influx of people calling themselves empaths. Empath is a word similar to all other psychology words now that's just being thrown around. People are like, oh, I cried at a puppy video. I'm an empath. At one point, it was literally a trend in comment sections for people to say me, an empath, I've noticed that you, and they would state something that was very obvious. So like, it was a joke, obviously, but the word empath is just, it's, it's running rampant through the community. By the community, I mean social media at large. And as someone who deeply identifies with what truly an empath is, it was almost annoying to me at one point, because I'm like, y'all are calling yourselves empaths and y'all not going through the struggle that I'm going through. So when I saw this book, I was like, oh, need that need I need some some not even so much guidance but something about this I knew I was going to feel seen because again as a genuine empath it's a very unique experience that as we get into it today you'll realize you can experience empathy and not be an empath and I think that is where sometimes people get get thrown off um with the verbiage one is um one is an action, a feeling. The other one is like a state of being. So I didn't finish the book. Spoiler alert. I swore I was going to finish this. I started reading this book on an airplane last time I went home. Home flight back to Florida. I'm reading, I'm reading. I'm like, oh, I'm so enthralled. That was right. Very much enthralled in the book, but very much was on winter vacation. When I got back to Florida, it was time to go back to work. <laughs> so I did not finish this book. But that just means we're going to have a two-part episode for the month of January, and I do think that this is a topic that deserves two episodes and that y'all will be interested enough to hear the two episodes. So anyway, I did finish basically the first half of the book, so then I will break it down that way for y'all. We're going to, uh, I'll jump into the chapters and what I gleaned from it, and again, why it was so salient to me. So I guess I'll give y'all a little bit more background on me and why I'm so keyed up and hyped up about a book about empaths. So prior to my 20s, prior to getting into therapy, prior to therapy-related language hitting mainstream, I never had the, the language, the appropriate language for what I was feeling. Now in my 20s, I'm like, oh, I'm an empath. That's what that feeling is. But at the time growing up, I had no idea what that was. I've always been a person who felt everything. And not only do I feel it, but I feel it very deeply. Not only do I feel my own feelings, I feel the feelings of those around me. Again, this kind of ties back into the empathy versus being an empath. Like it's one thing to, oh girl, I feel bad for you showing sympathy even. But like, it's to the point sometimes where like, I'd be crippled with like the negative feelings of other people or the sadness of others. If I see someone genuinely happy, I will cry tears of joy. If I see real genuine vulnerability and sadness, I too will cry or mimic and not in a just like in a mean way, but I 
I take on those same emotions. I basically mirror or mimic the the other person. You're truly sad. Now I'm truly sad. Now think about feeling that way when you weren't sad before and how that could kind of be draining and confusing because I'm like, why do I feel so, so deeply with what you got going on? This ain't got nothing to do with me. And I, now that I'm more in touch with my feelings, being on social media yesterday, perfect example, yesterday, sitting at my desk now, don't be on TikTok at work, but I was sobbing at a video of a little boy who was essentially giving his mother his blessing on getting married and saying how happy he was for her. That touched me in a way that I can't describe. And why it touched me that way is tied to being an impact. It's because not only did I see the happiness, obviously beautiful woman, beautiful little black boy, adorable, but it's like I got put in the place of how I would feel if that was my mother, if if that was me, if I was that little boy. And it's like my body just started producing all of those if that was you situation, which again, if you're not an empath, I don't think any of this will, you're going to understand because I'm a good explainer and this is a good book, but like, it's a feeling that you cannot simply describe. There's nothing like feeling like you're sitting in the emotions of another person. It's also very confusing. And when they're bad emotions, because you're like, why am I so torn up about this? Why am I losing sleep and anxious over this? Why why am I feeling this? It can be very confusing. Like I've said, since I was a kid, I've always felt I was always a hypersensitive person, which connected to being an empath, but all hypersensitive people are not empaths. But I've, like I said, I've always just had visceral responses to not only emotions, but even sometimes emotions that weren't being expressed, the tones of people. I'm very sensitive to tone, which is probably one of the reasons why I'm sensitive to like yelling like just very sensitive to all energy and things around me and at times especially when you don't have the language for it or understand what it is you will try to compensate like oh this is going to upset so and so or this is going to change the vibe in the room let me not do that even if it's to the detriment of yourself so yeah it's it's been a rocky road i'm glad i'm grateful now to have the language i'm also grateful to have a book like this so i can share not only my personal experience but the experience of another woman and someone who has done the work to like piece this out for us to understand so we're gonna jump into the book um i think i've given y'all enough about me just know that i feel everything those who know me in real life y'all know i i'm gonna take it there with you with your emotions so i I think as we get into it, it will give you more insight to what exactly an empath is. And then it will put, it will make my little tidbit, my anecdote probably make a little bit more sense. So let's get into it. Also, just a side note while I open up this book, be mindful of the things you say to kids. I can't stress that enough. Part of my healing journey is healing some of the things that were said to me as a child that I don't think the adults in my life realized I was internalizing. One of them was about being sensitive or crying. Crying and being sensitive feels as natural to me as breathing. So to be told, like, stop being so sensitive or just saying a little off the cuff stuff like that, you don't sometimes realize, especially to an empath child, especially to a hypersensitive child, that they're internalizing that. And now that they may possibly not feel safe to talk to you, not because like you're not a good person or whatever, but the safety to feel vulnerable because being vulnerable as an empath is hard because energy exchange, da 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 da. Y'all get me. Be mindful of what you say to kids. So 
like I said, I read the first four chapters, which are basically half the book. I'm going to give y'all the high points of those four chapters. So very first chapter is who is the empath? Disclaimer, this is a full-fledged book. I will not be reading to y'all verbatim. I have some sections highlighted. Again, the high points, just, just so we clear. Also, the book was $5. Go pick it up because I'm going to give y'all enough to be interested, but go get the book. If I can find a link for it somewhere other than five below, I'll put it in the show notes. So anyway, chapter one, who is the empath? Empaths feel the pain of others, quite literally. Being an empath is like having six senses rather than five. Other people are not aware that empaths can sense others' emotions even without seeing overt expression of them. They can notice others' anger, grief, or joy when that person does not verbalize it. So very keyed into body language and things like that. The author goes on to talk about like their experience and the conflict that they felt similar to me as a child and young adult. Like, why do I feel like this? Because it's also very confusing when you realize that other people are not having this visceral response to emotions or movies or violence. Like, we'll get into that part. But like, it's confusing because I feel like I can remember one time vaguely trying to explain to somebody about why I don't like watching violence in movies and it's all tied together. We will get there. And I was like, wait, do y'all not feel this? Do y'all not feel like you are being stabbed when you see someone stabbed on TV? Oh, weird. And that will make you feel crazy because then you have to grapple with weight. So I'm, I'm bugging. Like I'm just, I'm picking it over the top. I'm dragging it. Well, really that's not the case at all. You're just an empath. But I go on. So one of the things the author goes on to say is, as I began to dive deeper into myself, I asked questions like, why do I feel the energy under the words? Why do I feel physically drained and anxious in crowds? Why do I experience shifting energy in conversations? Why does negativity make me feel the need to retreat? Why does it take me weeks to recover from holidays and busy vacations? Girl saying. Why does it seem that I cannot thrive in our society like most people? And I think that that is one of those things, even dealing with unrelated to to being an empath. I think any sort of like mental illness or for me specifically depression and anxiety, when you see people out here literally just living their life and they're not fighting, (laughs) fighting to live, it's like, am I, again, am I doing too much? Like, why why is it possible that other people can thrive? And I'm barely holding on. Um, And that's something that also is touched on in this book. You kind of start to resent people. Like, not you walking through life like life's a peach. And I'm drowning. This is something that I feel like I've experienced, even with my partner. My boyfriend is very, very much laissez-faire. He's he's giving elevator music. Not that my boyfriend is stupid. I'm not saying that at all. But he just, he goes on. Like, things get him down, he bounces back. Like, I don't know. He just... He just goes on with his life all the time. (laughs) Disappointment, setback, whatever. He just goes on and I'm like, you're not still thinking about that? Or it even also can put a strain on our relationship where I'm still still grappling with my feelings. And he's like, we still on that? Okay. And it's just like, what? It's annoying. Anyway. So yeah, that that is one of those things that can be also very isolating about being an empath. Again, when you feel like other people don't get you, you don't feel seen, or that other people are experiencing the same thing, it can be tough, really tough, in my personal opinion. So another part that I have highlighted is what is an empath? And underneath that, um, there is a section about highly sensitive people versus empaths. So most empaths are highly sensitive people, but not all highly sensitive people are empaths. 
skipping a little bit. By contrast, empaths have one defining trait, the ability to intuit, I-N-T-U-I-T, like intuition, but the, the root word, and feel others' emotions. Highly sensitive people may sympathize with others' pain, but will not feel it as though it is their pain. Which I feel like, again, is that is the key defining thing. It's one thing to be able to empathize, because I think empathy is such a beautiful trait, but this empath nonsense takes it a whole, a whole nother step. And then we go on, we turn in pages, we turn in pages. The author poses the question, are you an empath? There is a paragraph, and then she has highlighted an empath quiz. I'm going to ask you all this same quiz and kind of keep note to yourself in your mind. If you're not driving, if you want to like deep dive and write it down, go for it. But um, kind of think of how many times you say yes to some of these questions. Question number one, do strangers often overshare their life with you? Let's do this together. I'll share my answers with y'all. For me, that answer is yes. I jokingly tell people all the time, like other people, that I meet strangers and within an hour, they're telling me their whole life story. And I'm like, why did you feel comfortable sharing that with me? Sometimes it's funny because I'm like, or lighthearted, like, oh, I'm glad you feel comfortable. But it's also sometimes very bizarre because I'm like, girl, you don't know me. Anyway, so question number one, yes. Question number two, do you need lots of alone time to recharge? For me, that's no, or at least I don't think so for me personally. Are you deeply connected to nature? For me, that's also a no. I'm not a, not a nature girly. Question number four, do you need to avoid violent content and movies? For me, yes. Have you been told you are too sensitive? For me, yes. Question number six, do you get overwhelmed in crowds or at significant events? For me, yes. Despite being an extrovert and loving being around other people, it drains me quickly because it's too much energy in the room. Especially if it's a mixed crowd of folks, too many energies, I'm overwhelmed. But I can usually fight through because I do enjoy being around people. But anyway, question number seven. Is your intuition powerful, though you may not always trust it? Yes, I have very powerful intuition. Uh, question number eight. Do you feel weighed down by emotions when around someone who is suffering? 1,000% yes. Question number nine. Is sleep critical to you more than most? The more the most part is in more than most is in parentheses. And for me, again, that's an overwhelming yes. And we'll come back to more on why that's important for empath and for me. I'll probably bring it up. <laughs> and the last question is, do you sometimes prioritize others' wellness over your own? For me, it's a yes. But for me, I also know that that's like a trauma response. In my big age and with therapy, I'm moving past that. Always prioritize yourself. You can't help anyone, honestly, if you are drained and tapped out yourself. So then it goes on to say, calculate your yes responses. If you received seven to 10, you might be an empath. Hopefully, whether you are an empath is becoming more transparent. Did you know that empaths can vary in type and different personality style? So the next part is about introverts, extroverts, and empaths. I won't get too much into that. Just baseline level knowledge. Extroverts are people who essentially get around people and get charged up. They get energy from that. Introverts do not. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. It probably would be assumed that if you get overwhelmed in crowds, you probably don't like being around people. You're probably an introvert. No, that is not the case. All empaths are not introverts. You can honestly be either.
But the important part, the next part that goes on after that is the type of empaths. There are, we are, <laughs> we are all unique intuitive beings and how we experience the world is primarily affected by our thoughts about our past, our unhealed pain, and our temperament. For empaths, their type accounts for their individuality too. So there are four types that are mentioned in the book. Emotional empath. So those are one of the more common types of empaths. The emotional empath can notice and even take on the emotions of others. Emotional empaths are particularly susceptible to stronger, more negative energy and may feel drained around prolonged negativity. So then there's the physical empath. Like emotional empaths, a physical empath notices the experience of others, but here it is physical symptoms they manifest rather than emotional ones. A physical empath can feel the pain and ailment in their body that another person is experiencing. That's me all day. I don't know if I notice that so much with other people, like in real life, but movies. Movies get me bad. I cannot do violence in movies. And there's there's varying degrees in the situation and why sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. But anyway... And then there's intuitive empath. An intuitive empath's intuition is incredibly strong, and they can notice what others, other people are feeling and thinking and may even pick up lower moods and stress in a room. So based off these definitions, I felt, again, very seen. Can't stress that enough. But I identify most with being an emotional and intuitive empath and physical empath. Now, it's this last one that don't, don't do nothing for me. The last one is plant, animal, earth empath. The finely attuned earth plant um, Earth plant empath feels the needs of plants, animals, and the planet. Yeah, no. I mean, hate that for the planet. Hate that we're melting the polar ice caps, but like that don't make me f feel nothing too crazy. I don't want to hit an animal on the road, but I'm also not going to wreck my car not to. So mm -mm, that's not for me. But for somebody out there, if you identify with that, just know you are seen by me in the book. Um, empaths exist across a full array of sensitivities and possibilities, their experiences are unique as the universe itself. So yeah, those are the types of empaths. And then the last part that I want to read from chapter one are, the question was posed, are empaths born or created? There are three possibilities that the author gives. First possibility, temperament. Um, she says, this became clear after the birth of my babies. Some of us enter the world with more sensitivity. It is natural. It is a natural temperament present at birth. I witnessed it myself when my children came out of the womb. These babies were more responsive to light, smell, touch, movement, temperature, and sound. These babies appeared to be impasse from the start. If nurtured, these babies can confidently grow into who they are. Possibility two, our genes. Like temperament, our parents may genetically transfer our level of empathy. In 2018, scientists from the University of Cambridge worked with genetic company 23andMe and a team of international scientists, and they found how empathetic we are is partly due to our genetics. If sensitive traits are nurtured, we become more aware and accepting of who we are. That concept, not to overstep because it's not written here, but I'm pretty sure, again, that's like um, epigenetics. Gene expression, some of that probably is, yes, it's passed down, but it's probably passed down due to to gene expression and trauma. That's a whole nother thing. Epigenetics is something that I'm very interested in, but we move on. <laughs> Possibility three, trauma author says trauma or what I call experiences that our nervous system cannot naturally process can modify our sensitivity levels. Many empaths I work with share traumatic events that altered how they process and internalize the world around them. Trauma can create a hyper-aware state that can wear down a person's nervous system, making the person hyper-aware, making the person's hyper-aware state a new normal. So yeah, there are three possibilities and it could be honestly a combination of all three. Um, 
despite feeling as though I've been an empath my entire life, because like I said, some of these things I've experienced as a, like from childhood, I remember very vividly always feeling very viscerally, especially about like violence in movies. That is something that like really sticks with me because I always thought it was so weird. Um, but then I also do feel like some of this, you know, is a trauma response or at least it's heightened by trauma that I've experienced. Anyway, so there's that on that. That's chapter one. The girl laid the groundwork. I think she did an incredible job. Next, there's chapter two, which are the empath's struggles and strengths. I, so I feel like describing being an empath and how I've described my experience, I even said it was rough, might make you think, well, you can possibly have no strengths because you are down here being um, a slave to your emotions. But that is not the case. While there are some struggles that empaths universally experience, there are also many strengths that come with being so in tune with yourself and others in the environment. So some of the struggles listed are low self-esteem. Um, empaths can be prone to low self-esteem. Being unlike most of the world, they may judge themselves against non-empaths. I kind of touched on that earlier. It's like walking around constantly asking people, are you not, do you see this? Are you not seeing this? Probably is a better question from an empath. Like, how are you not torn up about this? The next thing that empaths sometimes struggle with is shame. Shame is commonly defined as an intense negative emotion characterized by the perception of a global devaluation of oneself. Empaths can struggle with shame. When they hold shame, they believe that they are flawed and undeserving of unconditional love and acceptance. Shame sounds like I should have scored higher on that test. I'm an idiot. Guilt sounds like I am capable of scoring higher on that test. I should have studied more. So that's subtle difference. Empaths can develop personal shame by hearing comments suggesting that you are too sensitive. Why do you cry so much? Is it that big of a deal? Get over it. These statements communicate one is too much or not enough. Second, or not second, we're what, three? Yeah, third thing that empaths can struggle with is codependency. Next is anxiety. I have a part um, highlighted here. Not to overlook codependency. That is something that I have personally struggled with. But like, go look it up and then come back to me. We'll talk about it. So codependency is something that we struggle with. Anxiety. Um, the part that I have highlighted here says the upside of being an empath is that they profoundly feel all the positive and nourishing energy in the world. The downside is that empaths become fatigued, anxious, and overwhelmed from sensory overload. That's it. That's the tweet. Because very accurate. Um, resentment. Another one that I touched on earlier. When you see people just living life or draining you of your energy and not even realizing it, you can grow resentful. Next, the author goes on to talk about coping mechanisms. Um, there are four in here. The first one being pretending like you don't feel anything. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Being the fixers, empaths can read the energy in the room and without healthy boundaries, they absorb the energy, emotions, thoughts, and beliefs of those around them. This can be overwhel an overwhelming experience, especially when they do not know how to manage the enormity of what they feel. They learned from an early age that they could not control what they were feeling, so it's best to fix what others felt to lighten their load. Hoping to lighten their load can show up as people pleasing and assuming the role as a fixer. Third one is do not get too close or you will get hurt. The author says, let me premise this with self-awareness. I understand my being bullied for many years affected my attachment style and coping me mechanisms can have multiple explanations based on trauma we endure. As an empath, 
Playing it safe can equate to feeling less. Playing it safe can look like codependent relationships where the other person needs you so you are safe from abandonment. Or if you can be or it can be befriending those who are emotionally unavailable so you can stay unavailable too. Just the thought of like putting up walls to avoid being hurt. Also, when you have heard like things about being too sensitive and this, that, and the third, it's sometimes hard to like want to share that piece of yourself with other people. And then focusing on fixing external flaws, both fixing and flaws are in quotation marks because eh, you're not really fixing them. And are they actually flaws? But you can become, as an empath, hyper-fixated on fixing your outward appearance and things like that since you can't seemingly control your emotions. Okay, so now let's get into these strengths. Again, I know I probably made it sound like there is no upside to being an empath, but there truly is. One of the first strengths that the author lists is strong intuition. Intuition is the immediate perception of truth, independent of reasoning or understanding, also called a gut feeling. All humans can hone in on it. Um, into their own intuitive guidance. If you ask people around you, I bet most will have a story about their gratitude for following their intuition. Empaths not only have the gut feeling intuition, but also sense and soak up energy and information into their bodies from others. This ability to feel the subtleties and energy is a form of intuition. So gut feeling, but also being able to feel like the shifts in the energy in the room can be also very telling. Um, I can't explain the number of times that I feel like I have probably now, as I'm saying it, probably have shut down in certain spaces because I can tell like, mm, I'm not being received well, or there's something else going on before I got here. There's something going on that I'm attuned to and I don't want to be a part of it. So I might, stop talking. I'm also a big first impressions person. I'm also a bit of a sit back and read the room girl. So this would be a combination of things more than just being an empath, but I know that is some of it. The next thing that is a plus about being an empath is that you're a natural healer. When an empathetic ear is present, a person begins healing. I have highlighted here. I noticed that adults, oh yes, this is why I have this highlighted. So let me Go back a little bit. So hearing other people or feeling heard by someone else, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes people will tell me all their business and I just met them. But I know for some people that can be very therapeutic, which is why I don't turn people away. Like, oh, girl, I don't want to hear that. I try my best not to make people feel as though I'm not interested because I know that there is healing that can come from sometimes just getting something off your chest. That being said, though, similar to the author, now going to the part that I have highlighted here, I noticed she's speaking about her childhood experience. I noticed that adults did not want to hear about suffering. I saw the shifting of body weight, the blank stares, the rolling of eyes, and the responses meant to shut down and change the topic. I learned that my pain was a burden to others. Now, I will say that as a big adult, that it's that I have learned not to take that personal. People just don't like to have hard conversations, period. But feeling this way as a child, again, you you internalize it as, oh, I'm bothering them. Because you can tell, like, they don't want to talk about this with me or something's going on. I, you Again, you can just sense that. And you then, given certain responses, you no longer feel safe to speak because now, now it's getting weird. Or as Kiki Palmer said, realize that it's a little bit political and it's gonna get a little bit spooky ooky. so you just stop yeah um the next part that i have same part natural healer 
but another part that I've highlighted it says empaths who care for themselves and have healthy boundaries are great listeners and listening is healing. So that is the plus there. Even though being an empath can be a slippery slope with hearing people's mess too much, it can also be very healing. And as long as you personally have those healthy boundaries for yourself um, and communicate effectively to that person, maybe when you're tapped out or that you don't have the capacity in the moment, you can be a great help to other people by just being that empathetic mirroring ear because when people see that you really get in them and I think that's part of it people see that empaths are mimicking their expressions and their they seem like they really get it so then it's like let me keep talking because she feels me I think that's part of it anyway um next thing is highly creative empaths have a full emotional life they feel it and they feel it big this is a reason empaths and highly sensitive people favor creative creative ventures like art music writing or entrepreneurship as I grow older, I realize that that is 1000% me, but due to maybe self-imposed standards or I don't know the word for it. And I'm sure if my therapist was here, she could break it down for y'all on my personal quirks. But I did not think that that's what I should do when I like when I went to college. I love art. I love music. I was just talking to my boyfriend the other day about why did anyone encourage me to do marching band in college? I absolutely could have. I can play several instruments and I could play them well. But to me, that was just not, that wasn't a thing. That wasn't real. That's not what you did for careers. Blase squase, I'm learning that I've always been creative. And probably if given another chance at life, I probably would um, pursue a more creative job. Moving on, enough about me. Mm, next one, the last one, the most important one. The biggest plus about being an empath is not easy to manipulate. What you're not finna do is pull one over on me. <laughs> and I pride myself on that. Um, it's one of the things that the author says in here that it's it's not easy to lie to an empath. You might think you're lying to me, but really you're lying to yourself. Because I can already tell, I can tell what type of time you are. Again, sometimes before you even say it, body language, facial expressions, intuition, I know the vibe. You ain't actually don't spend your time lying to me. I've often expressed to my sister about friends or different people, I will say this exact phrase. Of all the people to lie to, why would you lie to me? Ain't no point lying to me. And I feel that wholeheartedly. Literally, first of all, whatever you're talking about is probably not my business in the first place. Let's start there. Second of all, you ain't got to lie to me. I don't, it's not that I don't care about you, but it, again, it just ain't no reason to lie to me. So then when people do lie or attempt to lie, I feel very disrespected. So keep that in mind if you meet me in real life. Don't try no, no foolery. Don't try to lie to me. <laughs> All right, so that's the end of that chapter. Chapter three is about the empath and energy. Now, this has come up several times already. I have brought up the whole the energy vibe to y'all several times because I feel like anyone who is an empath that is listening or they know an empath and have heard them say similar things, you can just tell when the vibe is off. I remember, um, not like this was so long ago, I remember. Anyway, <laughs> um, I had a job. Um, I had the same job for a long time. I had a boss. That was my boy. Shout out to Kevin. But I remember saying to him one time, I wish that this phrase, the vibe is off, was a good enough reason to use PTO. Being so in tune to emotions and the vibe in an environment will have you ready to leave, like to bowl. If I could use that excuse to leave work more often than I have, I would. Because yeah, it's just the vibe is off and I don't want to be here. And by the vibe, I mean the energy. So... Well, I'm learning that that is what I mean. I'm feeling the energy of other people. Therefore, I'm feeling the vibe. Um, 
this part also this author starts with talking about what exactly energy is she goes into e equals mc squared the whole like literal meaning of of energy goes on to talk about how empaths feel energy um all of that the next part she talks about spotting energy drains it is very easy to drain an empath because it can be such a roller coaster sometimes being around certain kind of people or just people period it can be draining when you feel so much around you um the author, I have this part highlighted, says common signs of energy drains for empaths can be finding it extremely difficult to be present. Empaths depend on distractions like their phone or focusing on others' problems to get them through the day. Another sign is that they feel a heavy emotion like fear, sorrow, or anxiety and do not know why. That's a big one for me because sometimes I get in places, situations around certain people and I'm anxious. And I'm like, what? Did, what is this about? I didn't feel like that before I got here. Why do I feel so heavy? Why do I feel the the desire to run? Like, I don't know. It's very weird. And that is a big one for me. And I'm learning as an adult to pay more attention to that. And that if the vibe is off, you 1000% can leave. It might not always be able to be feasible at work. But in every other situation, if you feel that viscerally about a negative energy that is around you, leave. It's okay, and you don't act, you don't have to explain to anyone why. Huh. Okay, so common energy drains for the empath: lack of sleep. That's the very first one, and one thousand percent agree that that is a uh, a very common energy drain for me. Sleep is a nece- is necessary for human survival. After as little as three days, our body and mind deteriorate. Empaths need a consistent sleep pattern to feel their best. Empaths are highly sensitive to all aspects of their lives, including their body's response to not receiving enough rest. Deep sleep is essential to lessen the overstimulation they experience each day of their lives. As someone who struggles with anxiety and anxiety around sleep and nighttime and all that jazz, this is this is a kicker for me. Uh, honestly, it's a killer for me because... Um, yeah, it's sometimes hard to achieve that deep sleep when you are anxious and then you wake up not feeling rested and then you go out into the world that is also about to continue to drain you. Which, oddly enough, is something that gives me anxiety and keeps me up at night. How ironic. Anyway, lack of alone time is a common energy drain. Violent content. I mentioned this earlier. The author says, do you have a friend that loves horror movies or one that will not miss the next episode of their favorite true crime series? Although not all empaths are affected affected equally, violent content can be agony for some. You know that suspenseful feeling you get when the teens are running from the killer in the woods? To some, it is a welcome rush of adrenaline. To empaths, fake and real life violence can leave our nervous system fired up for hours or even days, making watching violent content a threat to our well-being. Yeah. I would deep dive into what exactly for me is so for, uh, you know, what I'll do it. The thing for me when it comes to violent content is like seeing people like literally get beat to death. Like when you see those violent mobster movies and they're just beaten or hitting them with a sack of quarters or something that my face hurts. Seeing people get stabbed in the gut also wrenches me guts me and then yeah just the general adrenaline that you that the author described of like watching people run away from something or but again depending on the situation like if it's a cartoon movie or the other day i was watching wednesday that show on netflix they spoiler alert they stab old girl in the gut in the last episode and for some reason that didn't bother me that much and i think i was able to rationalize it i just 
knew it wasn't real, which obviously in all movies, it's not real. But that story wasn't even centered around. The whole thing is mythological or like otherworldly. So just, I don't know. It's when real people are involved in things that really like gut me or real emotions. Like this was the climax of the movie, the the lovers or whatever. Something has happened and now the emotions are high. And boom, stabbed. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that leaves me on edge. And lastly, the author notes that a common energy drain is loud noise. Loud noise, smells, and excessive talking can easily fray it and pass nerves. Um, yeah, same. That's, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. There are three more. I don't know why I said last. Actually, there's, there's quite a few more. Let me keep going. Excessive negativity, crowded places, small talk. I often talk to those around me about how much I hate small talk, which is funny because I'm chatty. I am. I do like to talk, but I want to talk about the real. I want to get down to the nitty gritty, probably because I'm an empath. I want to talk about what's keeping the earth on its axis. I want to talk about the meaning of life, not the weather. Feeling rushed is one that is noted in the book and I very much identify with. Feeling rushed sends me into a tizzy. It's just a, it's an overload of, of anxiety. Conflicts and arguments. Yeah, I think that one's pretty obvious. Conflicts and arguments. Yeah, that's a trainer because I'm about to feel what you're feeling, what I'm feeling. We're going back and forth. We're verbally tussling, and now I'm tired and needing that. So that's that. That's chapter three. And the last chapter, chapter four, is titled, well, it's not the last chapter of the book. This last chapter that I got into was The Empath and Trauma. Um, I, you might have heard me mention earlier that, like, Hypervigilance is a part of being an empath, but it's also a trauma response. If you've experienced um, any sort of trauma, especially if it was significant, that can put you in a state of being hypervigilant. Um, as Black women, we are, in a sense, very hypervigilant, again, due to generational trauma and things like that. So that's something we're already experiencing on top of other trauma, on top of being an empath, you're just stay on, you stay on go. And if you imagine how you feel, because all of us, I feel like have felt that feeling of like fight or flight, or even if it's just a momentary um, hypervigilance, you know what it's like to feel like that. So then imagine feeling like that all the time and how draining that feels. Because I know for me personally, feeling like hyped up like that, I legit be ready for a nap after that. Because it's like, I've used up all my life forces on this. I have a part highlighted here that says some events will traumatize any of us and some because of differences in temperament and sensitivity may traumatize you, but not others. We already know empaths are extremely sensitive to things occurring around them and process things longer and more intensely than others. This sensitivity means that a situation that is temporarily stressful for one could be traumatizing to you. How something uniquely affects you does not means something is amiss or better about them for overcoming sooner. It means our brains and nervous systems process differently and we require individual attention and care. I wanted to put special emphasis on that part because I think that is something that like across the board, empath or not, when you feel like, again, that you are different in some capacity or like, well, she's already over it. Why aren't I over it? Or just anything like that. It can be isolating. So just know that like, that person is not better than you or more emotionally stable than you just because they got over it first or whatever the case may be, even if it's not direct one-on-one -on -one conflict, that you're okay and that you're just processing things differently. So the author goes on to talk about the brain and trauma, 
are you an empath or are you a trauma survivor? <laughs> and it um, common trauma symptoms, similar to other, the list that I provided earlier about uh, symptoms of being an empath, basically, or things that can happen when you're an empath. Shame, avoidance, extreme alertness, feeling different, codependency, all of those things. This, this is a more in-depth chapter because I feel like this is like, almost like the climax of the book. There's nine chapters. And this is, I feel like the turning point where we're getting down to like differentiating things. So I won't get too heavy into that. But one of the things I do want to highlight is that at the end, there is an ACE quiz. ACE is an acronym for Adverse Childhood Experiences. We all experience them. An example of one not that we've all experienced this specifically, but an example of an ACE is divorce. That is considered an adverse childhood experience. There's a test to see, like, basically how traumatized you are or, like, the number of ACEs that you've experienced and how they, ACE represents adverse childhood experiences that harm a child's developing brain and change how they respond to stress. So this test kind of gives you insight to, like, you know what? I've experienced quite a few things. My brain might not be on the same type of time as everybody else's. And again, that's okay. Hmm. Okay, so that is actually, that's it, y'all. I have gotten y'all up to the point where I'm at. And now, now that I'm sounding like I'm about to end, you're probably thinking, okay, I'm here with you, sis, but what does this have to do with Black women? I personally think that this is very important to Black women. One of the things that I skipped in the beginning of the book is that true empaths make up a very small portion of um, a small portion of the population. There are not as many empaths as, as people may think, because so often, again, being an empath is mistaken with literally just showing empathy. But with that, though, though it's a small part of the part of the population, there are so many commonalities. I feel like with how we are socialized as Black women and being an empath. There's a lot of overlap there. We're already natural givers. And as women, we're conditioned to, like I mentioned earlier, give more of yourself or to look after others before yourself. Historically, Black women have been given that role times 10, the fixer, the, the healer, all of those things, sometimes even at the detriment of ourselves, of our own well-being. And since I do want to talk about well-being, this is to me part of it. You need to understand that not only could you possibly be experiencing all of the things that just come with being socialized as a Black woman, which could also very well be an empath, and that is just heightening everything that you're already feeling. And it can be confusing and very daunting. I think there is a lot. When you don't know this bit about yourself, when you don't have that level of self-awareness to take care of yourself properly, you can be even more drained. I mentioned waking up tired sometimes or just different childhood experiences of mine and being tapped out. So imagine, because I know I've talked about this in other episodes, I specifically have done an episode on self-care. If you already aren't taking care of yourself, you're not setting healthy boundaries. Imagine how exacerbated everything that you got going on is if you're also an unchecked empath. You heard me say that there's codependency problems, there's self-esteem problems. So imagine if you got those already and then double it, basically. I don't think that's actually how psychology works. Y'all know I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. However, I think y'all get my drift that this is important for Black women to recognize in themselves because we are also a very empathetic and sympathetic group as a whole. A lot of what I talked about last week, even on the contributions episode, was about social justice. We take on 
the people around us. We take on the fight of those around us constantly, constantly. So imagine not being just an activist, but an activist that's an empath. Imagine the toll that can take on a body, on a mind. So I just want this to be a space to hold space for those who are already feeling this and maybe shed some light on it enough that you might go do your own research and be like, you know what? I did answer yes to seven of those things that Diana asked at the beginning of the episode. Maybe I'm an empath. Maybe I should look into that because I feel like when you know what's going on with yourself, if you are willing to do the work, you can do the work. If you know, I need time to recharge. Maybe you will now start to assess, you know what, let me not go to this place or feel even more comfortable telling yourself, it's okay that you feel that way and don't want to be around that person. Don't go. Point blank, period. If you can just understand that, like, what you're feeling is normal. So that is why I'm talking to y'all about empathy today and being an empath, just because I feel like there's so much overlap between being an empath and being a Black woman socialized in Western culture. We are giving, giving, giving. We often take up the drama of those around us. Not drama. I won't say drama because that very negative. Take on the emotions, whether they're good, bad. We care for everyone. We nurture everyone. And we sometimes do not nurture ourselves. So keep that in mind. And hopefully that connects some of the dots. So then when I come back next week and I'm telling y'all this is the podcast where we talk about health and well-being of Black women, y'all get why we are talking about this aspect of health and well-being. Because that can affect your health. Like I said, that can take a toll on your literal body. So it's important to, to keep that sort of stuff in check. So I'm going to wrap it up. That really, Now that really is it. Now that I've made the connection for y'all, though it may have been obvious, I just wanted to, you know, really drive it home. You know how I do. So with that being said, if you like what you heard and would like to hear more from me and other Black women professionals in the future, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, turn on your notifications, leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and share the show with a Black woman you love. Y'all know what I'm about to say. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And you can keep up with me and the podcast on Instagram at Change Our Outcomes. That's C H A N G E O U R O U T C O M E S. Change Our Outcomes. If you want to send me show ideas or continue to talk about something that you've heard on the podcast, go ahead and shoot me an email again at changeouroutcomes at gmail.com. Also, I got some brewing for y'all. There's a website coming. We will have an open forum and we will be able to talk online with each other. Give me time. Give me time. When it's up, y'all will know. Y'all be the first to know. And as always, thank y'all for the support. And if no one has told you today, Black girl, your heart is big. Black girl, your ability to feel deeply is a strength. And Black girl, you are loved. Thank you for listening.